You're listening to highlights from One Planet Podcast interview with Sean Wiener, the founder and the head of the Foundation for the Protection of Marine Biodiversity in Haiti. Being born and raised in Haiti, I always had an affinity for the ocean. My family always took us out to the ocean um, almost every weekend. So we were either up north of Port-au-Prince or down south of Port-au-Prince. So we would go into the water once we arrived. I mean, we're talking about being eight, nine, 10 years old and spend the entire day uh, floating around in the water, face down, um, would come out looking like prunes, you know, in the water for so long. You know, what you've achieved in that period where, you know, the regrowth of mangroves, you know, protecting the coral reefs, what, you know, what are you proud of in terms of your achievements, you know, as you look, go back in the decades? I'm baffled by how much we've done. And I also realize, oh, this is probably why I'm so tired all the time because we have done so much. But uh, some of our greatest accomplishments, I think, include um, all the mangrove areas that we've replanted. We've replanted over a million trees throughout Haiti. Uh, The development of new laws for fisheries and protecting uh, the fisheries resources. Educational materials that we've developed uh, that, that tends close to a hundred, uh, fishing associations that we've helped strengthen and provide guidance to on how to, how to perfect the fishing methods, as well as just in general, bringing the importance of man- monitoring and managing our coastal marine resources better to the forefront of environmental issues in Haiti. Yes. And you highlighted something there, which is educating. You're an educator. You're, you're training people. You can't just take a, you can't just say you have to tell people who are in generations going back fishermen that they must fish more holistically and they, they can't just abandon their livelihood. So you're really giving people the tools to, uh, be part of this holistic management of the marine ecosystems. When we first started the foundation, the idea was to pretty much just do simple research. We were starting off as a research institution, and that's all we, we really wanted to do. As time progressed, of course, you realize, um, your naivety perhaps at first, that if you really want to do things to help protect the environment, you have to include the local stakeholders, the local people. And then, of course, from the local people, you have to begin to implicate the local community groups. And then from there, the community groups, they link you to government authorities who are responsible. And we'll often say, um, you know, there are no hungry conservationists. Meaning, of course, if you're, if you're hungry, the last thing on your mind is going to be conserving or preserve resources. Um, so it's, it's very difficult at times. To see certain people come in who really don't understand the situation and start yelling at the fishermen and telling them, you can't catch this lobster because it's too small, or you have to stop cutting down the mangroves because you're damaging the ecosystem when their stomachs are full. In what ways have you, would you like to see the sustainability movement kind of adopt a holistic approach? And have you seen challenges in convincing these organizations um, that a holistic approach is the best framework to approach resource conservation 
I think there is now a turn towards a more holistic approach to resource management. Well, uh, the realization, as I said, that, you know, you can't just tell people to stop doing something. Everybody has to make a living. Everybody has more kids to feed, kids to send to, to school, doctors, bills. Talking about biodiversity, for example, is fine and dandy if you understand what biodiversity is and all of its intricacies. But if you really want to discuss protecting resources in countries in which the resources are overexploited or they're mismanaged, you really have to start talking about the human factor and how humans are impacting the resources. Uh, we try to work with the local people as much as possible because that gives them a sense of, of uh, ownership for the projects. If we do mangrove restoration or agricultural or coal and those lines, it has to be, of course, with the local communities. All beach cleanups, street cleanups, mangrove reforestation, um, renting of boats, all anything along those lines, which can provide a benefit to the local communities, even if it's short-term jobs or anything along those lines, the local community has to feel that it's participating in order to have ownership. So if you have, you know, a hundred people from the local community participate in a mangrove restoration or reforestation project, making biodegradable baskets out of bamboo, helping set up the plant nursery, watering the plants, checking them for, for bugs and, and insects, uh, then participating in their replanting in their own community, then there's a sense that the trees belong to them, the trees belong to their community. And hopefully in large part, they will defend the trees from others who may want to come in and cut them down. And through educational activities also, you hopefully also help them understand the importance of monitoring and protecting their local resources. Exactly. I, I believe that so much hands-on knowledge, uh, it's no longer an abstraction. It, it's, re it's not real until you can see it. And also, of course, mm -hmm. the pride of whether it's a cleanup or helping, you know, planting when you can see what was a barren field, say, or coastal area, and you can come back and see the improvements. Uh, it gives you energy. It feels great. Yeah, you know, it feels great. Seeing the successes are great. Now, failures, of course, but the successes often wake up for what kind of strategies have you employed to persuade the Haitian government to focus on conservation? And how have you navigated through a complicated bureaucracy? In conversation we've had with other small environmental organizations, especially in the region, uh, many, many years back, we've come to the conclusion that it's all about the dollars. You can talk about biodiversity, you can talk about the number of fish, you can talk about anything you want. But if you don't start saying we're losing five billion bottles worth of resources a year. Um, we're, we're losing, you know, a hundred million dollars worth of, of tourism revenue a year because of the lack or the mismanagement of our biodiversity and our environment. The politicians' ears don't perk up. It's when you start talking about the money issues that, that that's where they really start to, to pay attention. 
But it's uh, very uh, beautiful. You've, we saw uh, how much you care for your country and, and also for your family. So, you know, we're an educational initiative here too. And, uh, you know, just trying to pass on a bit of that passion and commitment. Um, and what's on our mind, I guess we're going into COP26 and we're think, all thinking about the future. What do you tell your children? How do you prioritize the things to focus on? What do you want young people to know, preserve, and remember? Well, um, we're coming out of what hasn't largely been, hopefully coming out of what hasn't been, uh, one of the worst times on the planet for resource exploitation and waste everything related to that waste of resources. So, uh, try to set the example, well, especially for my kids, recycling, trying to be reasonable about purchasing things about, you know, where things end up after you're done using them. Um, just in general, taking, being, being careful about what you do what impacts there are down the line. And again, even for them already, uh, they're 18 and 20 now. What are you going to do to protect the planet or try to protect the planet for your kids? So um, already trying to put that mindset, set that mindset up for them. Uh, because it's very difficult for our generation to change. We're already kind of... Right? A bit older than you, I'm sure, but <laughs> it's already difficult for my generation to to change the way it's done things for so long. Um, but trying to at least bring that change, be responsible, be reasonable, and uh, think about the impacts from mine to transportation to the product itself to how you're going to use it. Do you really need it? all the way to oh, how is it going to be disposed of or recycled. So I think we've, we've got them kind of in that mindset, although my son still loves the sports cars and, and stuff. But I think, uh, I think they, they're, they're going to be more reasonable than we Oh, well, so true. And we really uh, appreciate uh, your example because it energizes us and it gives us something to, to model on our own projects. So. Thank you, Jean-Louis Nero, and the Foundation for the Protection of the Marine Biodiversity uh, for your passion and commitment and holistic approach to coastal and marine management and helping us understand the power of grassroots movement and how we might harness them to apply them to global governance. We all live on one planet we call home. Thank you for your dedication to the environment and the ecosystems we're dependent on and for adding your voice to One Planet Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this program and listening to the highlights of this podcast. If you would like to get involved in One Planet Podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on the subscribe button. Thank you for listening.